Okay. Do we have some answers? Let's read together. So those who have Bibles or smartphones, we're going to... Big screen is not working, so we're going to read from Luke 14, verse 12 to 35. So maybe it would be easiest to grab your smartphone and read with. Give just an opportunity for that. Luke 14, from verse 12. Luke 14, tw- verse 12. I'll read. He said, Jesus um, speaking, he, also, he said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the cripple, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of a just. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and to the lanes of the city. Bring in the poor and the crippled, the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and there is still room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways, the edges. Compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who were invited shall taste my banquet. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross, cross, come after me, cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down, count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, All who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate, whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who come against him with 20,000? And if not, while the others yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you does not renounce all that he has, cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use, either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. You as ears to hear, 
Let him hear. Let me open in prayer. Father, we thank you just for this time together. We thank you just for your word and Holy Spirit that you would just come and reveal it and make it alive in our hearts. Father, we thank you just for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, yeah, that's our piece of scripture that we're going to go through. And you would have noticed the format of how we're doing this is to, to be interactive, to make the word our own and to chat about it like John Yip said last week to move from theory to application, that we actually start applying the word and that it's not something that we theoretically discuss, but that we actually go about applying it um, in our lives. So from verse 12, you can still follow on your phone. Um, we're going to read that. He said to also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner and a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers, relatives, rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And what's amazing about that for me is just to see how Christ actually commands us to do the thing um, in order to display how the Father is towards us. Um, Not inviting those who can repay you means they have not earned it. So those that you should invite is those who have not earned it and that it's basically not conditional because they can do nothing in return for you. And in the same way, Christ is inviting us to display that to the world by doing to others what he has done for us. We read on the next part. Um, when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to them, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of heaven. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he said to his servant um, to go to those who are invited to say, Come, for everything is ready. Now, firstly, this part speaks about Jesus, in the the bigger part, speaks about the cost of discipleship. Um, And discipleship, or being a disciple, means follower. So when Jesus says that, he means that if anyone's to be my follower, um, just to put that in context. But we see that the part starts with the invitation to come. And... That's the important thing, to realize that Jesus is inviting us. And it also speaks about that in Matthew 10, um, a similar piece where it says, Come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Sometimes we struggle with a difference between earning and receiving do we come to him by earning it or do we come to receive because if i come to earn it then it means um i've earned it i've i've done something in order to to um what's the right word qualify for for receiving um it's conditional well if we come to receive it means it's already there we just need to come and receive. So if you prepare a banquet, and I know many of you are great at preparing banquets, 
you would know that you put in a lot of effort to prepare that banquet. Your intentions are made clear by all the effort that you put in there, given that you're not doing it only to impress people, but if you're really doing it to, to show love to people, you're actually, that invite already shows that you're giving. It's, it's unconditional in, in that sense. Um, and just how many times when we look at Jesus or what he says, we think about, have I done enough to earn? Can I come to him because I've done enough? But we have to see that the banquet is, uh, is an invite. It's not conditional. Have you done enough to come? Jesus has already done enough, so we can just come. But in order to receive, we need to let go of what we have. And we saw in that part, if we read... Um, is that verse 12 if we go on so no sorry just go yeah verse 1 verse 16 so it speaks about Jesus, Jesus giving the banquet and at, so he gave the invites I always read about this and I thought was it like an instant thing where it was a surprise to these people and Jesus said cool banquet is ready you have to, and it caught them by surprise and I'm, I'm like hey man I'm just married um, I can't come. But if we look at that, he went and sent the invites. Then later on, he said, okay, everything is now ready. So it's, from my understanding, it doesn't seem as if it was that great a surprise, but not to, to lean too heavy on that anyway. But if we go to the next part, we see the excuses that people made. I mean, Jesus was inviting to the banquet. It was ready to be received. But that relatively, you can say, important daily life things to attend to. I mean, they just bought the property. That's something amazing. You have to attend to that. Just married. Um, obviously, also amazing. Good, good things. Those weren't bad things. But these things were keeping them from responding to, to the invite to the kingdom. They couldn't say yes to the banquet that was already repaired just for them to come and receive because they were occupied in that sense. So, in order to receive in the kingdom, we have to realize that a lot of the times we're holding on to things that keeps us from receiving that invite. And also, if you think of it, we think about counting the cost, and we think, oh, we have to count the cost to follow Jesus. But we forget that we're already counting the cost for whatever else we're busy with, whether it's work, family, you sacrifice. Those who have studied would know I mean, it takes a lot of effort. Um, those who are preparing for triathlons or races, you know, you don't just pitch. It, there's a big cost to count. I mean, some would deliberate, well, am I really ready for this? Should, am I ready to count the cost? And in my case, I go, no, I'm not ready to count the cost. I've received many invitations, but I've declined. I, I, I realized when I counted the cost, it's not going to happen for me. So... We understand the concept, um, and it also differs for different people. Um, speaking, I can't, Yaku and Mareko, who, or some of these active people, they were talking about going out for a run and saying that, yeah, sometimes I just feel lazy and I just do 5Ks. Now, for some of us, that might be like, wow, if I'm feeling inspired, I'm going to do 5Ks. So... It differs. Counting the cost is not a one-size-fits-all, but it's about how we, what Jesus is calling us to do. 
Um, so we're saying that whatever you do, it's going to cost you. It's not only following Jesus that's going to cost you, but what are you spending it on? Um, and Jesus calling us to first stop and count the cost. So you're paying for something. If we look at Luke 9, from verse 23 to 24, it says, I don't know if it's on the screen, but it says, Any, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the world and loses or forfeits himself? So we can see there, you have to choose one. Jesus speaks elsewhere about uh, you can only follow God or mammon because you will hate the one and love the other. You can't have both. And uh, maybe to to, um, show that parable... Or that principle, maybe Stefani, if I can use you to come to the front. And uh, Dan. So we have some jumbles. They're going to do handstand push ups on this. Okay. Dan can go first. Handstand push up, please. It's just a joke, Dan. It's just a joke. Um, so, you can stand here. So, yeah, you have to hold the ball with two hands. Come stand here that everyone can see you. So, let's say in this case, um, switch the balls. So, let's say in this case, Dan is uh, God the Father, Jesus. He has life to give. Stefani has uh, her life in her hands. The, the verse speaks about must even hate your own life. Now, Stefani, um, Dan, or in this case, if we see it as Jesus wants to give Stefani um, life, so can you take that ball, but you cannot drop this one. And you have to hold both hands on this one. Sorry, that's a trick. Hold it like that in front of you. Okay. As she goes through life's as she goes through life's perils, it's up and down. Stuff is going to happen, and she's going <laughs> to basically lose her life. Now, let's do that and say, Stefani has to lay down her life in order to receive from Jesus. So, put that down. Receive that. And that's how I see the principle, is we have to lay that down. We, we, can't, we think sometimes we can... Thanks, you guys are amazing. We sometimes think that we can juggle it all, that we can run a successful life, that we can have Jesus and or the best life and Jesus. It's like Corne Becker always says, before people meet Jesus, they want to be healthy, wealthy, and famous. And then when they get to know Jesus, they want to be healthy, wealthy, and famous for Jesus. But see, it doesn't always work that way. And and it doesn't mean that any of those things are bad. But Jesus requires uh, a superior, he needs to be superior and supreme in our lives. He needs to be first. It's not that any of those things are necessarily bad in itself. But we, and we'll see later at the parable of a sower, um, how it explains that. So we need to realize that we need to pay for something. You're either going to have to pay on holding on to your own life, whatever that. Um, entails for you, or you're going to lay down your life and receive life like Luke 9 says. I'll read that again. 
If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So we can't have it both ways. And we also said we can't earn God's love, but in order to receive, we have to let go of what we're holding on to. And that process is part of counting the cost of following him. So it's free, but it's not cheap. There's a, there's a price to pay. It's free. You don't pay any... F- it's free, but it's not cheap. It's going to cost you. So coming to Jesus has a cost. He has an invitation, but it's still going to cost you everything. In order to receive that rest that he promised in Matthew 10, our hands need to be open. And we have to think, what is that that's holding our back? So it's easier to let go if you don't have anything of perceived value. And that's why I think in that um, first part of a parable of a banquet, going out to the poor um, and those on the street, they already feel that they don't have anything of perceived value to hold on to, or even if they have, they quickly realize that this is worth nothing, drop it, and they, they go for Jesus. But sometimes we in our lives, we have things that we, over time, whether it's because of culture or whatever, we have this perceived value that we attach to things that we think we're afraid of losing. And then in hard times, sometimes hard times helps us to see what's really important. Through hard times, um, and if we define that um, on a a level of saying that um, it's when things aren't working out when we thought it would or would have liked it to work out for it's obviously not only that, but a lot of times, hard times drives us to God. And unfortunately, it can so easily become a thing of, if it's not for hard times, we don't stay on our knees. And the plan A is obviously that we in the good times, especially in the good times and the bad times, see God because He is our exceedingly great reward. So the cost is lower in our times because then we see our plans no longer as working out and we attach less value to them. Think of a prodigal son. He was thinking, wow, he's going to make it big in this world. He just needs some startup capital. He's going to go to his father and organize a deal and get everything and then he's going to go for his dreams. So in the beginning, I'm sure he was quite headstrong. He knew what it's going to take to build a... Uh, uh, empire for himself or at least chase his dreams but after a while he realized what he's actually trying to do is worthless and it was so much better at his father's house and many times through that hard times we start seeing what we're actually holding on to and in his case he was in a big spin and many times that's where where life um, can also take us so we see that it's very important to Look at what is the perceived value that we attach to things in our lives. The cost is so much higher when we think there's more value um, in the things that we're holding on than following Jesus. And if we don't, and, and in order to get to that place, we need to get to know Jesus. Matthew 13 lays that out so well. And Jesus saying, What is the kingdom? So if we have to think, what is the kingdom? Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid again. And 
in his joy went and sold everything he had and bought that field. We see it's not a begrudging compliance or obedience to Jesus. Just do it. it's the guy went in his joy and sold everything he had um, and bought that field. And that's what Jesus says is how the, the kingdom of heaven is. A further parable says the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding a pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So we can see it's not a, it's, it's actually a, a bargain in that sense. They're exchanging something of lesser value for more value. But do we see it that way? What is our perception of the kingdom and of Jesus? What is, how do you see it? Have you experienced the kingdom in that way? Have you been at a place where you feel, wow, you're going to lay something down and enjoy and follow Jesus because that's what Jesus says is one of the ways he describes the kingdom and like we said a a big theme obviously that one can almost see as a stumbling block and counting the cost sometimes is is being rich and there's a lot of parables speaking to that Um, but we look at the rich young ruler in Luke 18 from verse 21 to 27 I'll maybe not read the whole part um, but the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he was, uh, we, we see that he was actually quite a righteous guy doing the law, fulfilling it. And then Jesus tells him, one thing you still lack, um, sell, sell everything and, or give it to the poor and, and follow me. And we see after that it says in verse 23, when he heard these things, he became very sad. So he registered sadness. If we look at the emotional wheel, we'll see the sadness, maybe he felt dejected, demotivated. It was something he, I mean, he was, if, if we listen to his answers, it actually sounds, wow, this guy is very solid. But still, when Jesus asked him to part from that which Jesus saw was in his heart, it left him with sadness. Um, and then the disciples are like, um, how or Jesus then said how difficult it is for those who have health to enter the kingdom of God for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God and then those who heard it said but then who can be saved and Jesus said what is impossible with man is possible with God but I think the point I'm trying to make with that is just but we're not oblivious of the fact that all our options, our richness, can sometimes be this ball that we're holding on to. And we know the invitation from Jesus is there, but we, we maybe try to take both of them. And then later on, um, if we think of a parable of a sower, um, it says in Luke 8 verse 14, as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and pleasures, pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. So, we're, we're, for those, you can go read it in, in Luke 8, we'll maybe get back to that later, but the seed was sown, the, the good seed, but then there were also those that were sown among the thorns. And sometimes we try to juggle the thorns and the kingdom in our life. Um, And it speaks here about that they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. 
So maybe in the short term, you're thinking, wow, I can actually make this work. But we see where it ends off in the long term. You can, you can only choose one. Um, so just back to our piece in Luke that we've read, verse 26. So yeah, we, we said, if we have other options, it's that uh, thing of the balls. It's difficult for us to receive. So we need to... S- Let's see what Jesus says about that. Verse 26, he says, I'm um, sorry, not verse, verse 26, that's Luke 14. Verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So Jesus is saying, if you want to be my follower... Uh, basically that you have to hate your father, mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters yes, even his own life and that hate is uh, translated the commentary on that is to love less so again, Jesus is demanding that compared to loving him if there's no competition it's either him or it's not so it's not that you should hate your father and mother in the way we understand it but to love less there can't be anything ab- above you, uh, above Jesus, if you want to be his follower. And then who, whoever does not bear his own cross, cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So if we think of a great commandment, um, or what Jesus summarized it as, as you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And this is the great and first commandment, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So if we basically love any of those other things with our heart, with our whole mind, soul, and heart, um, whether it's a spouse, children, job, then it is an indication for us that maybe something else has taken the place that was actually supposed to be reserved for Jesus. So we need to deny ourselves um, in, in following him and take up our cross. And then after that, in the next verse, um, sorry, back to Luke 14. Um, just, okay, next. Okay, so maybe if we can just go back to the part before that. I don't know if it's beyond the slides, but it's the part where Jesus speaks about counting the cost. Um, and he basically says, if anyone is to to go build a tower, you first count the cost. And Jesus is basically warning us not to hastily just say, yes, we're in, but not counting the cost. If you think about the, um, in your own life, a marathon um, or whatever the case might be, one would first go and look, do you have, not go, go budget basically, can you do this? Um, do you have a willpower or in that sense, to, to follow Jesus. Do you really want to do it? I mean, it, it can sound funny in this context, but if we think about study, somewhere or whatever challenge you have, somewhere you have to sit yourself down and decide you're going to do this. You're going to, and that's what Jesus is asking us, that we don't just go with a wave. Maybe sometimes, I mean, being in a, in a country like ours where it's actually not, not frowned upon to be Christian or illegal, 
it's actually great to be in church, to be in a, a group. Uh, I mean, especially if there's great community, to go with a flow almost. I mean, great friends, maybe you get a wife or a husband. So it's all great things, and you stay part of it, but you're never forced to count the cost. But we can then still easily hold on to the world and, and not count it. Um, so we first have to count the cost and look at what it will take. And like John Yip said last week, he said something where he said, we don't have to, we shouldn't look at the kingdom and go, what can I do? But rather, what, what is needed to be done? And then go to God and ask, okay, what part, how, how are we going to do this? So that we don't only do something that's within our reach, but see what's God's plan for this. And if we go to the parable of a sower that I've already discussed, but just taking it together, because counting the cost uh, is that part of perseverance. And if we just read there from verse 5, Luke 8, Luke 8 from verse 5. Um, sorry, I'm jumping around. I couldn't get the whole Bible on the slide, so I had to choose some. Um, so it says, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell on among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it, and it choked. And some fell into good soil, and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And then in verse 13, Jesus explains the second part of it. He says, And the ones on the rock are those when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in times of testing they fall away. And as for the ones that fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares, riches, and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. And as for that in good soil, they are the ones who hear the word of God, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. So we see again, again there that we can't follow the world and Jesus. We, if Jesus is calling us to count the cost, it means surrendering our lives in following him um, completely. Because... Sure, you might be fine now, you might do the Christian life thing, but what about in five years' time, ten years' time? Where are you going to be there? Are you just going to see how this works out, and then maybe in five and ten years' time, I mean, the devil is definitely, the enemy is definitely going to throw things at us, whether it's trying to offend us or whatever may be the case, but we have to count the cost in order to, to, to make that decision in order in following Jesus. And he also says that we shouldn't just do it uh, quickly, just decide, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus, but actually count how is that going to work out. Again, if you do a marathon, you don't just write, uh, subscribe or write in what's the right word and then pitch on the day. You think, okay, Anna sent me a plan for two oceans and where you have to run like, how much is that? Is it like 40Ks a week or something crazy like that? Um, so you actually have to go plan how are you going to achieve it. In the same with Jesus, practically it might even be things like, and Debia sent out this great accountability sheets, which you can get from your small group leader if you don't have it already, but 
and it is in line with his first sermon, but just some of the basic disciplines in the Christian walk, prayer, the word, community, um, rest, witnessing. So taking those five things and think, how is that going to happen in your life? Are you just going to hope that somewhere the Spirit overwhelms you and then it's just happening for you and you're rolling with it? Or do you think you actually have to count the cost somewhere and say, okay, if I want to read the Word, maybe you need to sleep earlier, maybe you have to skip breakfast. Depending on your priorities, you're actually going to have to make this work and count the cost because you have to look what is needed. If you, um, Otherwise, the, the other things over time would, would choke you. Um, and then the last part in that, um, if we go back to, to our Luke 14, it, Jesus says that if anyone does not renounce everything, he cannot be my disciple. And I think Jesus basically explaining to us the dynamics in following him. It's, it's, it's almost for, for me, what I, when I read that, I think of it as it's less like a personal thing of Jesus saying, um, it's personally not wanting us to follow him in any way like that, but it's more like a practical thing like we saw with the balls. Jesus is just saying, if you don't do that, it's not going to work. So from the start, this is how we do it. I mean, there's a lot of, they apply these principles in a lot of other areas of life, whether it's fitness and all those things. So you have to be either in or out. Um, and then we see that it ends in um, Luke 14, verse 35. It says about the salt. We can go to that part. Salt is good, but if it salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use, either for swill or the manure pile. It's thrown away. You has ears to hear, let him hear. So if we're not counting the cost, it's like salt. That has lost its taste. It's useless. You can't, you can't use it on food or throw it on the um, soil or manure pile because it will um, have a bad effect on the ground even. And that's how our lives can become if we don't count the cost and if we just drift along um, in that sense. So, in closing, in your following of Jesus, what is going to take for you to complete the race? How are you going to ensure that in five years time you're still following Christ? If you just take time, think of that. What cost do you need to count now? I mean, I always think of Valhalem when I see works with me. So in the morning uh, when I see him, I always ask how how many hours did you sleep? And he'll be like, no, just three hours. But it's worth it. It's worth it. He has a small baby. Or yeah, even Lisa, and just yes, he, he counts the cost. I don't know how many times he needs to count the cost, but he has at least counted the cost in terms of deciding that he's gonna endure with that, even if that's just talking about it on a superficial level. Um, so, and just to think, what areas of your life is standing in competition with that? And again, it's not that a lot of those things are bad, but if it is hindering you from um, accepting intimacy with Jesus, then a plan should be made. So I want us to maybe in practical groups, maybe last questions to think about. For you, is the kingdom a treasure in a field? 
or is that treasure in a field your future husband home career or your life that you're building what are you putting your hope on for the future if if, if i had to tell you wow well, that treasure in a field uh, you're gonna get close to that what are you thinking about is that and sometimes you might think i'm a christian but if you think about it maybe that's not really what you're pursuing you're pursuing a successful career or whatever it might be um, and what is currently that thing that you will joyfully sacrifice for? Um, how are you counting the costs and planning to ensure that your intentions become actions? So that it's not only something you speak of and you hope someday hopefully it will happen. How is that intentions of doing good, of following God, going to become action and something that people can see? And what is that? that's choking your life in the kingdom, that forms, that cares and worries of the world. And what would it take for the seed to be in good ground? How should you position your life in following Christ into, in order to show that it bears fruit? And I think dear beer has, has laid that accountability, things like accountability is obviously a good start with that. Just to be accountable to someone in terms of what you are vowing to God and walking in that in a practical way. So please do get that sheet, but it's basically those five things I've mentioned, just growing in prayer, the word, community, witnessing, and rest, and just practically going about it to, to weed that out. So we can turn two by two, um, and if we can just then say, cool, what it... What did you feel God was saying to you in this? And what do you need to do? What actionable is there to take it from intention to, to action? And then pray for each other. And then after that, we'll do communion together. Thanks. Those who hand out the communion can just start getting that ready. Worship band can also start getting back, but you can continue praying if you're still busy. reading from Revelations 3 from verse um, 17 because you say I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see as many as I love I rebuke and chasten therefore be zealous and repent oh, um, I'm just going to pray oh, Lord we just come and we we ask Lord that you 
truly open our eyes to see where we've where we said we're rich but we're actually poor. Where we said we've been clothed but we're actually naked, Father. And we want to ask you to continue the great exchange, the great exchange, Lord, where we, where you we lay down our the filth that's in our hands, Lord, and take up gold that's been refined by your fire, Lord, and allow you to clothe us with white garments, clothe us the shame of our nakedness with your white garments, Lord, and just be before you as you've called us to be, Father. Thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Yeah, Father, we thank you just for your blood that speaks a better word that is enough, Jesus, that we can just celebrate today and for your body that was broken for us, Father. We thank you just for that, just as we just celebrate through this communion. As the worship band leads us in a song, if there's anything that you want to pray with that word that me only brought and you just feel that's, that's that start of coming to God and acknowledging to him that you if we are blind, Richard and poor and that we want to buy that gold there's going to be leaders around the ear in front just to come and pray with you if that's you and yeah, just as that the worship band is just going to take us into that